when I read it, I was thinking like, okay, I understand the picture that's trying to be portrayed here, but like, this isn't the real opportunity. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be successful, like this isn't the real opportunity. This is a jumping off point. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy, welcome back to the TMBA podcast. I'm here as always with the boss man. Give me a shout out. Hey, oh, hey, oh, welcome to the pod shop. We are on lockdown day. Yeah, we should have we should have started a little tally somewhere, <laughs> etched it into the side <laughs> like of the building. The chalk marks in the yeah. cell. <laughs> it's funny. I found myself on YouTube the other day listening to an eloquent POW talk about like six years in lockdown. You know, there are a lot of humans out there that did some amazing things with their lives. And, and what I did was, uh, you know, try to trade out some uh, potato chips for hummus and, and watch Netflix or something. Yeah, yeah, you're locked down in the air conditioning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been awful. Well, shout out. We hope you all are healthy and safe out there. And today's goal is to uh, bring you a little bit of inspiration, fun, hopefully take that next step in your business. The reality is this, now's the time to make changes to get set up for the future to ride this wave out of you know what's going to be a recession here. And businesses that are designed well, that have the right cost structure, and then you can get a sustainable amount of effort into that thing as we come out of this recession over the coming half a decade or whatever, you can ride that wave up. Some people are saying this is the buy opportunity of a lifetime. Gotta say, I'm, I, I kind of agree with that. Do you even have to say kinda at this point? Why don't you guruize your statement? Yeah. Come on, kinda? It's gotta be, right? I'm not that confident about anything, honestly. But <laughs> historically speaking, this is a time where you can make hay. If you have enough power to buy low. And it's not only a buy opportunity of a generation, but also a build. And build and buy are closely related in the sense that in order to build things, you essentially, you know, you're either using your time or you're buying assets through labor, through real estate, you know, whether you're going to have an office or whether you're going to be buying inventory or whatever, you know, all these things are at an all-time low. So if you're looking to build or buy right now is your opportunity. And this is your podcast. All right, so I'm just going to swoop in here with voiceover to set up an article that planted the seed for this episode. And we hope you all enjoy this one. Let us know what you think. This is way more casual. It's like a discussion that Ian and I would have over a beer here at the ranchette. I don't know, maybe not like there's clear takeaways here, but I hope you find the conversation enjoyable. So in this episode, we're going to give our thoughts on one of the most used and abused terms when it comes to online business circles. Can we drop some sound effects, please? Wait for it. Drop shipping. I suspect many of you listening will have read this piece that's recently been doing a lot of rounds on Twitter because it's 
both amused and enraged a lot of people interested in making money online. It first appeared in Wired magazine, and its title is It's Bullshit inside the weird get-rich-quick world of dropshipping. And just for clarity, the it's bullshit part is a quote from an interviewee. So the author is Searing Kale. Shout out. She's a really fantastic writer, part of the reason so many of us are talking about this piece. Of course, although I personally feel it wasn't a complete picture of dropshipping, it was interesting nonetheless. The piece focuses on some really, I would say very interesting people, (laughs) some interesting people that she met in Bali. So Ian and I will give our thoughts in a minute, but if you want to check out both the article and see Ian's bio for yourself, they are in the show notes. So that's the context. Let's get on with the show. What we want to talk about today is information about entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about which critiques we feel are valid about dropshipping or any business model for that matter, and which are invalid and have an agenda behind them. Before we do that, I want to point out a cool effect, which has stuck with me ever since I first heard about it. I heard about it from Taylor Pearson, who's a regular guest on this show. It's called the Gel Man Amnesia Effect. It was coined by Michael Crichton all-time great author and uh, writes movies and books and stuff. Michael writes, you open a newspaper, and this is about the gel man amnesia effect. You open up the newspaper to an article on some subject you know well. In my friend's case, that's physics. In mine, it's show business. You read the article and see the journalist has absolutely no understanding of either the facts or the issues. Often, the article is so wrong that it actually represents the story backward, reversing cause and effect. I call these Wet streets cause rain stories, papers full of them. In any case, you read with exasperation or amusement at the multiple errors in the story. And then you turn the page to national or international affairs and read the rest of the newspaper as if the rest of the newspaper was somehow more accurate about Palestine than the baloney you just read. You turn the page and forget what you know. Again, that's the gel man amnesia effect. And I, Ian, I love this because I could think. It's just such a rare thing in life that you're covered in the media or something that you know about intimately is covered in the media, but it's so common for you to be exposed to media. So in some ways, we're not really prepared. Well, like Michael Crichton's a very smart guy and he's saying he has this amnesia every day and I do too. I remember back in 1999, I begged my parents with a long form sales letter to let me go to Woodstock 99. And I remember my mom, by the time she got to the end of the, the letter, she was basically like, I guess I can't say no now because you basically encountered all objections. <laughs> that sounds like you. It's my first copywriting success. So I went to Woodstock 99, which was famous for its lack of organization and also the wonderful talent that was on display there. And I remember reading the newspaper articles about what had happened there afterwards. And I thought to myself, you know, were these people even there? I had all these questions and it just didn't seem accurate. It was representing a world that I didn't inhabit necessarily. And that was really the first time I'd ever done anything that had been in the media. Since that time, I've seen a lot of articles like this in Wired about entrepreneurship. And now you see, you know, citizen journalists like blogs and stuff like that. And it is interesting to just sort of figure out how do we evaluate these things? What do we take away from them? 
And then how can we importantly put it to use in our business? That last thing is what I'm most interested in, Dan, which is how do we put it to use in our business? When I read these articles and in any articles, you got to ask yourself, these days especially, what is the motivation of the person writing this piece? Where are they coming from? When we talk about like the way media companies are run now, the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, one yeah. of the richest men in this world. Fox News is owned by a multi-billionaire. Yeah. American media is owned by corporations in a lot of ways. To borrow a term from an American news agency, fair and balanced. The problem is, is like writing these pieces, like what this author did, flying to Bali, interviewing all these people. Uh, she's an excellent writer, crafting the words, telling the stories. Like the real question is, well, what's your downstream incentive? And I think part of what the themes of this show has always been, when we come back and like share the stories of the entrepreneurial events that we've been to, the people that we've met on the field, the people who've quietly emailed us and said, hey guys, thanks for what you're doing. Please don't mention what I'm doing on the show because the reality is, is like, I don't want thousands of really smart, competent money people knowing how I make a living. And this is also the reason, Dan, I think, Probably the first five years of our podcast, we didn't disclose our niche because we were disincentivized to do so. Yeah, and I know a lot of people would like roll their eyes and say, oh, that's overly productive. The reality is, is, is I think that tide is shifting a little bit because the internet does provide these like serendipitous opportunities. So for example, if you reveal yourself as like having a, a certain kind of business online at tens of thousands of listeners listen to this podcast. And now you might get investors or friends or partners or employees. Whereas like those opportunities didn't quite exist as much five years ago, that kind of serendipitous, everybody's connecting in those ways. I don't think there's this big, big risk of like people going out and like modeling your business necessarily, or, or really taking what you've earned. But the reality is, is like, since there's no upside, you know, it's like, or it just like takes a lot of effort to share. So it's like, just can't be bothered. You know, most people would rather be anonymous and rich. Why share these things? And I bring this all up to say that the very small percentage of people that make money in like a tropical MBA style, less than 1% of those people share their journey online. And so what you have is this really, really imbalanced structure of like how people gather information, what they share, and when they share it. And so the reality is, is when some young writer who's really ambitious is going to like fly to Bali, their goal is to get people talking about it and to get people reading the article. And so kudos to her. That's what we're doing right now. But to suggest that this is somehow deeply evaluative or something of like what expats in Bali are doing or how people are making a living. I mean, that's just not the aim here. So I don't blame her for that at all. I mean, that, that's not her job. Although I do understand why a lot of people in our community get triggered by this, including myself. There's a part of me that feels when someone comes in and like turns your life into a product like that, you're seen into a product like that and you don't have you know, control of it. it you feel a little violated by it. You know, I could imagine a similar story about digital nomads or location independent people or podcasts with, you know, palm trees on the, the title and feel, thinking like, you know, they got one view and they're going to sell it the way they want to sell it. And it is what it is to them. And 
it just makes you feel like, man, you know, like a little bit uh, vulnerable. Yeah, Dan, I think you were uh, much more affected by this article than I was. I read this article and I thought like, I thought more about the business side of things. You know, I thought more about like, well, how can these people be successful or how are they successful or should people model this? You know, should people actually get into drop shipping? It's something that I've talked about for a long time, which is I wouldn't get into drop shipping. Or if I got into drop shipping, it would be a means to an end to develop new products. So when I read it, I, I was thinking like, okay, I understand the the picture that's trying to be portrayed here, but like this isn't the real opportunity. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be successful, like this isn't the real opportunity. This is a jumping off point. So for me, it was less about the lifestyle and more about the business opportunity. I'm not reacting to the lifestyle. I'm reacting to like the way information works. I mean, okay. we're information brokers. And so that's how this affected me, which is like people are talking about it. And so it's like, well, how do ideas affect people and how do they work, you know? And like, what is the difference between idea and reality? For years, 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 as, as long as we've been doing this podcast, we've gotten some hate mail from people like, uh, you know, you guys are just coconut cowboys uh, riding around the world this is a dream, like, you know, this is irresponsible. People should still be going to college. There's no way that this is going to last. And uh, for years, we've kind of said like, no, we see something that you don't see. We see an opportunity here. We know these people. We know these people. We talk with them directly. And that's just it. It's like we're, we're inside of a community that understands things that other people don't. And sometimes people write articles from the outside and they do not understand all the pieces of the puzzle and how they fit together, which is going back to Michael Crichton, which is uh, you know, seeing wet streets and uh, writing a story about rain. Let's then break down specifically why there's so much distaste for this specific business opportunity of drop shipping, Ian, and then we can like branch out into other models. But I think it's interesting because one of the things that really struck me about it is I think that there's three key elements. The first is the practitioner to preach ratio. So first off, Ian, could you just describe what drop shipping is? Like what does a drop shipping business look like? Sure. And like you said, I know of like 10 business models that you could have written this article on <laughs> in terms of people that are sitting in Bali. Like this person just decided to pick drop shipping. You know, there's 10 other business models, people sitting in cafes that they're working on right now. So I love your point there. Let me read the uh, last line. They're prospecting for gold and they're talking about these uh, Changu digital nomad types uh, with their backpacks and dollar signs in their eyes. This is great writing. She can really weave a yarn. They're prospecting for gold amongst the melon ballers and avocado slicers of AliExpress, throwing junk at the internet and hoping some of it sticks. By the way, I just bought some radio equipment from a dropshipper the other day. <laughs> this I, idea that like this is what dropshipping is, is... I've been throwing... Well, first of all, <laughs> throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks is... That is what entrepreneurs do. Yeah, that's what they've been doing forever. And you have to continuously throw spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. So yeah, so people are trying to figure it out. They're, you know, shoot, come to a location, see some people hustling, trying to baseline, trying to keep their expenses as low as possible, right? In a foreign country, if they're from somewhere like America. I don't know how you can hate on that. People hate on everything. Let's discuss what dropshipping is and why I think it's a vulnerable model. Now, author doesn't really go into that. But let's talk about it from a business perspective, okay? So dropshipping is basically this, okay? 
Back in the day, if you were a manufacturer of a product, a lot of times these manufacturers did not want to deal with the distribution of goods, meaning they're like, hey, I'm really good at making computers. I don't want to have anything to do with the retail side of it. Like you figure out a way to get to the store. So drop shipping has actually existed for a very long time. It's the middleman between retail and the manufacturer. Now, a couple of things have changed over the last 20 or 30 years, which basically is that manufacturers are willing to work directly with people, say these drop shippers, to retail their products. So sometimes you don't you don't even need a store, okay? I'm going to start an e-commerce site. It's built on WordPress. I'm going to sell directly to the customer. I contact the manufacturer. I say, hey, I just sold a unit. The manufacturer sends it directly to the customer. So it never even touches me or my warehouse. There's a lot of efficiency that can be had in this model. Because before, remember Circuit City, Dan? It was like this um, American electronics store. Of course. If you're Sony, you manufacture a product in Japan, you put that thing on a boat, and then it goes to a distribution center, and then it goes to 300 Circuit City stores, and then I come in as a customer, and then I buy that. It's just a bunch of wasted fuel and time. Right. So people have now come in, and manufacturers are receptive to this, and they've said, hey, I'm going to set up a website. I'm going to sell a product. You're going to ship it directly for me. Yeah. And now there's so many different ways you can inject yourself as a drop shipper taking advantage of this business model. So for example, there could be a big manufacturer that produces like radio electronics, like we talked about at the top of the show, like anything to do with radios and electronics and, and connector cords and antennas and stuff like this. But like you start a drop shipping store that's all about putting a CB radio in your truck. And so then you go to that big manufacturer of radios and you say, I know you're retailing, you know, in the modern day, they're probably retailing that on their website or selling to distributors or whatever. You go to the manufacturer and say, Hey, I'd love to include your CB radios on my website. Can I get a wholesale rate? And then they're shipping direct to your customers, sometimes with your brand on it. And that can be negotiated depending on how much leverage you have with the supplier. So you own the customer and you make the margin between the wholesale rate and the manufacturer's suggested retail rate. So most drop shippers are selling at that MSRP. You know, they're not jacking up prices hoping that people didn't price shop on the internet or something. They're making the margin with that wholesale rate. Is that a fair enough like basic uh, roundup of drop shipping? Yeah, drop shippers uh, just talk a little bit about the platforms. Drop shippers could have their own websites. They could sell on Amazon, they could sell on eBay, they could sell on Etsy. And a lot of them do. A lot of them figure out where the customers are so they don't have to build their own audience. Yeah, I think the model for a lot of dropshippers is essentially to build on their own platform ideally because you know once you're building on Amazon, you're totally giving up your marketing channel essentially to a third party. Now, I think that there's three fundamental things here that cause problems for critics. And the article writer, I think, would for sure be a critic, and there's a lot of vocal critics online. The first one, Ian, is, I think, practitioner-to-preach ratio of a lot of the gurus in the dropshipping space. And the question with you know guruship or advice brokering online is the question that I think every advice giver needs to address their practitioner-to-preach ratio, which is like, if doing what you say you should do is so valuable, aka in this case, building a dropship store, then why are you spending your time selling courses to other people who want to build a dropship store? So if your advice was really that valuable, it wouldn't even exist as advice 
because you would implement it yourself and make tons of money. Mm -hmm. Now, part of the reason why this is such an interesting critique is that it's actually true in a lot of cases that the old adage of those who can't do teach is often a, like a good rule of thumb to apply to people that distribute around information around the internet. I can even raise my hand up and say, you know, like, yeah, I could go start another e-commerce store, but it's very, very hard. I did it when I was a little bit younger. And and like right now, I'd rather talk about these issues with you guys, which is a more fun business model. It's diversified and stuff. Then do what I used to do, which is like really hardcore shit and very, very difficult. Uh, another one of the critiques around this model of preaching and selling courses is that there's not a lot of transparency around it. So you really don't know how many of these people are successful when they take these courses. Yes. You, know? you really don't know if that's the last $2,000 that somebody had to spend and they spent it on a course that didn't help them to grow a business or start a business. But promised and was sold in a way that suggested that it was simply follow step one, two, and three, and then bada bing, bada boom, after you pay X thousands of dollars, you'll have a business. And you can see why people would be suspicious and you should be suspicious of many of these things is because they have the potential to overpromise and underdeliver, you know, because <laughs> there's so little transparency around it. So yeah, I would be suspect of any of these types of businesses and any of the, that type of information because here's another thing about that type of information is the more you distribute it, in theory, the less valuable it becomes. Yes, and that's actually a nuanced point that has happened in the dropshipping world. So as more and more average Joes and Janes figured out about the opportunity to just follow step one, two, three, and four. I just figured out a niche, blah, blah, blah. Now, what's happened is that these manufacturers that do do drop shipping, they've been exhausted by requests from people sitting on their laptops in some nice location to become dealers. And so those dealership terms have changed and it is a zero sum market. You know, like there's only so many X's that are going to get sold. The pie doesn't keep getting bigger necessarily. And with a lot of the marketing acquisition channels that you you target, they're also zero-sum games, whether it's SEO, whether it's Google product feeds, whatever. So absolutely that the mere fact of selling those courses itself makes that less valuable. I'd like to take a moment to talk about our very own remote jobs website, dynamitejobs.co. People are starting to catch on that remote hiring isn't just a luxury or something cool that Tropical MBA folks talk about. It is a necessity. In fact, in mid-March, we saw job seeker traffic increase by 50%. Our inboxes have been overwhelmed by qualified candidates seeking to work for companies like yours. Now, we're working to help both sides of the aisle here. With candidates, we're sending out more recommended and targeted jobs, and we've recently launched a resume review service. For remote companies, we've recently launched a remote hiring guide and an application platform for reviewing candidates for your job listings. We've also allowed 100% of listeners of this podcast to post their first listing for free. And if you're looking to hire for an advanced technical or management role, we also have partnered with recruiters to help you get that done. Here's the reality for those of you looking to build your team or find your new normal there's never been more candidates out there on the market looking to work for companies like ours. 
Check us out over at dynamitejobs.co. Each job is 100% open, remote, and paid, aka remote jobs that don't suck. Let us help you grow your remote team. Dynamitejobs.co. The second thing, I think the reason that certain niches are much more apt to have these kinds of products is that they're more legible. That this idea that you could even show up to Bali in a week and like understand how everything works and stuff is an idea that applies itself to this very simple business model of drop shipping. And so you you go hear gurus online, people that teach this stuff, and they emphasize all the time how simple it is, right? I do think that this simplicity and the legibility of dropshipping is what makes it a less profitable business model on the whole. It's like the stock market, right? Like it's not a bad investment. It's just not a particularly good one. Like you might not double your business every year for 10 Mm -hmm. years because it is just that available. It is just too legible. It's too retail, so to speak. Now, and I think the other critique you could levy at a lot of the gurus is like they'll withhold if it's so simple, then what's the point of the course? Well, you know, structure teaching, I think all, there's real value in all those things, but there's also typically like a little bit of a secret sauce. Mm-hmm. And typically in the world of drop shipping, that has to do with uh, customer acquisition, like a specific channel that's like lucrative to a certain number of niches right now. And Which is probably changing all the time. Yeah. And it's not going to be like some thing you've never heard of or whatever. It's going to look like something like particular Facebook funnel, or it's going to look like Google product feeds, or it's going to look like SEO. You know what I mean? It's not going to be some like earth shattering thing that they want you to think. It's it's going to be like, look, this works. Here's a type of products it works for, like, you know, focus in and, and all that. And, you know, one of the other critiques you even levied, levied now is maybe these things just don't work out for most people. This is my third critique, and I got one more. Most Spaghettis don't stick to the wall. Most don't. And there is some value in structuring information. You know, we spoke with a gentleman the other day who took an expensive drop shipping course. He had another career. He didn't have a ton of knowledge about internet marketing or online business. And he took that information, he applied it, he started throwing spaghettis. And three years later, he has a legitimate business and he lives wherever he wants and all that kind of good stuff. And so there is value in just getting information, applying it, taking action, and seeing what happens. Now, would I spend my last hundred bucks on it or last couple thousand bucks on it? Maybe, depending on how desperate you are. Would you be disappointed if it didn't work out? Probably. Is it on you to make it work out? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing, like this dispersed responsibility, right? Like it's always, it's never gonna be like the guru's fault. Well, there's, a you know, in America and I think in other parts of the world too, there's like consumer protection acts, which basically protects you from buying faulty or bad products. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how that applies I've actually. never protected me. To this. <laughs> well, if you buy a new car, for I'm example, joking. you spend $25,000 and, you know, it's, it's problematic. It can get recalled through the Lemon Law and you can get your money back basically saying like the manufacturer wasn't responsible when they 
made this product. It's got too many faults. Like you deserve to have your money back. And I think a lot of people are probably frustrated with the idea that they have to actually take responsibility for their own actions and like do their own due diligence on this stuff. Yeah. Figure out or not if it's going to work for them. And maybe, maybe true. Maybe there should be some kind of consumer protection. You know, maybe you should have a, have to have a 5% uh, success rate, but here's the problem. How do you quantify success in something like this? You know, if you're the gentleman that you were talking about, he took a course and then he figured out a way to replace his income in a thousand days. Yeah, I'd say that's success. A lot of people don't have that. But how many pivots did he have to make after that? How many changes did he have to make after he read that information in that course? How willing to do that was he? Something else too for me in this this whole drop shipping thing is like drop shipping for me is not the end of the game, it's the beginning of the game. I don't even know if it's still an opportunity, really. I mean, I, I, people are doing it. I hear about it. I see people doing it. it. Looks great. I still think it's like very vulnerable to competition, which it always has been, you know. And so I think I don't think of it as an end game. I think of it as a jumping off point. You know, it's the first piece of spaghetti that you throw against the wall. You figure out how to replace your income. Okay, now how am I going to create my own products? But maybe you just learn a lot from the market and being in there and. Figure it out for yourself. Well, and I'll say this. This is my final point, and I think implied critique about all this is that if what you've done is gone out and made a successful dropshipping store, teaching other people how to do that might represent a more safe and profitable diversion than going out and starting more stores. And I think that that's part of the reason if you combine that simple diversification, there's an enormous desire in the marketplace for people to learn how to make money online, to learn how to live everywhere. Now, if what you sell is CB radios or whatever, and now you're thinking about getting into fishing poles or avocado slicers or whatever, and on the other hand, it's like, ooh, I make 25 grand a year. How about I just teach other people how to make 25 grand a year? And now I make you know hundreds of thousands teaching people how to do it. It's pretty obvious like why that diversification would look more appealing to someone that's in a business model with low margins and high competition. And so I think that's really the final critique. And that's what leads to like this outsized practitioner to preach ratio, which is, yeah, like that diversification makes a ton of sense when most stores you start are going to fail. And even the ones that work out, you're going to have low margins and high competition. Dan, I went to a, uh, a private university, a fairly expensive one, spent three and a half years there. And when I got handed my diploma, and even before that, actually, I realized that this institution, which is internationally known, did not have any kind of career center. Like there was no after college, this is what you should do. We're going to help you get a job. I mean, it was completely dumbfounded to find out that this university did not have a path for me to get a job. Okay. So here I was having spent thousands and thousands of dollars, way more than 2000 and I had no prospect of a job or anything like that after university, which is a, which is a bigger crime. You spend $2,000 on a dropshipping course and there's, there's no picture of what you should do next. There's no path for you. This guy is getting out of control. We got to get security in here, man. He is intense. I'll tell you the bigger crime. You figure it out though. So all this leads me to to one us positive this kind of idea that if there is a lot of guruized information and legible courses 
around the specific kind of business you want to start. It might not be a great business opportunity. It might be low margin. It might be high competition. But like my guy Travis Jameson said on Twitter after all this debate, I think this is a situation of not hating the game, hating the player. And there's some players out there that are going to be shady and that they're going to want to know your niche so that they can figure out how to steal your business. And then they're going to want to teach it to other people. And then there's going to be people that are upstanding individuals that they're in the game because their heart's on their sleeve. They want to know the product. They want to help their customers. And those are the people that I see winning in these long-term things because they care about the product. They have a sense of empathy for what's going on and they can evolve their business towards more profitable opportunities. Whereas it's the mercenary types that I often see trying to make a quick buck. Those are the people that don't fare so well and honestly catch a little bit more flack online because karma is a bitch. Dan, for me, this uh, this piece really highlighted a lot of like uh, just essentially owning the responsibility. You know, you get, you have to be responsible for your own actions, your own compulsions, your own purchases, all this stuff. You know, you go to the internet these days and you type in a little Google search and a lot of times you end up in a place where you didn't want to end up, right? Or you end up getting sold a product you didn't want to get sold. And a lot of people say that's Google's fault. Google shouldn't be showing you that. It's Google's responsibility. You type that in, but that's not how it works, right? It's like, It's not really Google's responsibility. That's their product. That's their company. It's up for you to decide whether or not that works for you. The same thing with all this stuff, man. It's just like, you don't want to be sold a course that you don't think is going to work. Don't buy the course. You You don't want to get into drop shipping because the margins are low and because potentially you're going to get boxed out by your competition. Don't do it. The final question I got for you, boss man, is like, you know, can you buy your way into business? With information. By the way, one of the things I wanted to mention about like that mix of like guruization, highly legible, and low margin, you know what the number one space online is for all this? Investing. Yeah. Investing in real estate. If you're gonna critique the gurus of dropshipping, then you gotta be critiquing the gurus of real estate. The question I asked was, can you buy your way into entrepreneurship? And I think the answer is it's complicated. Again, These things are by definition not highly legible because the whole point of starting an entrepreneurial venture is that it's not a commodity that tracks with a bunch of other commodities that everybody can know about. It is an asset that behaves a little bit more uniquely. And so one of the ways you can use your money to buy information is to go, this is something that JP mentioned a few episodes ago, JPG, he said If you want to know some information, focus on who knows it rather than what the information is. And I just thought that's such a great rule of thumb because if you see a guru online, they say they put up a blog post or a video. If you have your money, you're much better off using it to meet them than it is to purchase their information. And I'll say this from personal experience, having met a lot of personas online, a lot of the unrest below the surface that you're seeing is a little bit of the silent majority or whatever, the murmuring majority of the people who've met them in real life and realized that it doesn't quite add up. And those things can take a really long time to come out in the in a woodwork. So I think it's a more efficient use of your money to try to use it to meet successful people, see how they prioritize information in their head and see how they operate rather than I think it's a little bit more it's a little bit more honest. 
It's a little bit more honest, but it's also a little bit like Pollyannish to think like, oh, the best thing that this person has is going to be in that blog post or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, they got a little something up their sleeve. It's best for you to shake their hand and then take your other hand and look up the sleeve. (laughs) 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 All right, boss man. So you wanted to talk about platforms. Yeah, this dropshipping article just got me thinking about like, all right, you're reading this and like you're maybe getting into dropshipping or you're actually interested in owning a small business and being an entrepreneur. Let's not talk about the meta discussion here of like, should you be in Bali and should you be taking advantage of people? Screw that. Let's talk to entrepreneurs for a second. Let's talk about people that actually want to change their lives. There's a lot of different ways to get into entrepreneurship with varying degrees of legibility. Okay. And I think one of the easiest ways to get into entrepreneurship is to leverage whatever skill set you have, even if it's just a small one. Maybe you know how to cut the best grass in the neighborhood. Hey, that's a skill set. That's something that people are willing to pay you for. Can you translate it to an online business tomorrow? Probably not. But it's a way to get in the game and start making money. And I started to think about this dropshipping idea and just you know, part of my problem with dropshipping as a business model and as somebody that wants to be in business for a long time, sustaining my lifestyle, never having to go back and get a job, is it's susceptible to attacks, meaning you're kind of always hitching your wagon to some other vehicle, and it might not be one that you want to actually hitch to. So for example, a manufacturer goes out of business. You're out of business. For example, manufacturer raises prices or lowers prices. That affects your margins. Yeah. You're in trouble. So let's talk specifics though, because the idea is that like with all these business models that are highly legible, typically like you're taking a specific shortcut in order to get certain benefits faster. Now I'll tell you, one of the things I like about the drop shipping approach versus the skill set approach is it gets you focused on the market and other people. So dropshipping doesn't start with you sitting around saying like, what am I good at? It says, go look at these different customer acquisition channels. Now you acquire a customer, say through SEO or Google product feeds, they come to your website, you have the right CB radio. Yep. The problem is, is a lot of other people have that CB radio too. So the question is, well, why are they coming to you? And if at the end of the day, your answer is, well, they come to me because of SEO, then my question would be, well, why are they going to come back to you? Yep. And if you don't have that brand, like, oh, I have 10,000 videos on my website and they're narrative based and they have little cartoons and everybody loves the cartoons. And so anytime they want anything to do with radios, they come to watch my videos. And now that's getting somewhere, right? And that's like turning yourself into more of a brand, something that's memorable. And so this is the way I think the entrepreneurial path, which is driving down the value chain, which is, yeah, drop shipping, it gets you focused on something other than yourself. It gets you in the game potentially quicker because you don't have to develop a product, but you do have to develop something, which ideally would be a brand. Or you could also develop products. That's another option. Well, that's what I was going to say is uh, drop shipping for me, it has to lead to some kind of uh, brand or some kind of ownership of IP. A lot of people... They start off in dropshipping and then they end up making their own products, which for me as a product designer would be exactly where I would end up. And it's exactly what Amazon is doing too, right? They have a bunch of people selling products for them. They're gathering information on what the best selling products are. They're making tweaks and they're coming out with their own products. There's a lot of problems with a lot of different platforms. Some of the same problems exist when you sell on Amazon, eBay, Etsy. You know? You're know, you buying into the customer base, which is amazing because it can shortcut you potentially years and years yes. off acquiring a customer. You know, If you had to build your own chain of customers, it could take you two years. Like It's not know? a deal with the devil. It's a deal with one of the devil's committee members. Cousins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and here's, I'll tell you what. Let's so. 
journalists, their job is to tell you a story that maybe you didn't hear before. Yeah, I'll tell you, here's a very common story of the people that listen to this podcast that maybe they got here because they took a drop shipping course and they ran through all the modules and they started meeting people and they said, hey, have you listened to this podcast? I like this podcast. They come over here and meanwhile, they're on year two, three, four of running their dropship store and they listen to guys like me and you say, build a brand, go to the product and they nod their head and they're worried about the defensibility of what they've done. And so they start coming to events and now they got tons of entrepreneurial friends and maybe they moved to Spain for the summer and things keep going and they still tinkering with the brand. Fast forward seven, eight years, all the same concerns still exist, except they're kind of wealthy now because you know all the worries that they had about that dropship store they started seven years ago didn't materialize. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they're just out of business or whatever. But my point is, is that this story doesn't get told either, which is that there's nothing here that's safe. The most dangerous thing you can do is not get started, right? It's like the best time to start a business was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. But if that large guru fee isn't a problem for you, I say no harm, no foul. You know, Get the information, watch the process, see how they sold you. There's nothing that can't ultimately contribute to your education and getting you chucking that spaghetti. Be wary of who you get information from, whether it be journalists, dropshipping course authors, or podcast hosts like us. Information that comes in this form is suspect by its very nature. Go for the who, not for the what, and uh, start chucking spaghetti. Totally agree with you, boss man. Speaking of information, we will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.